Hi, everyone. I'm Ashley McManus, Director of Marketing at Affectiva. Welcome to Affectiva Asks, a human-centric AI podcast, where each episode we will interview a thought leader doing cutting-edge work in the AI space. A little bit about us, Affectiva is the pioneer of human perception AI, software that can detect nuanced human emotions, complex cognitive states, behaviors, activities, and interactions. And Affectiva is applying this technology to advance the next generation of multimodal in-cabin sensing. Today's episode features Dr. Joe Dusseldorp, a plastic surgeon now based in Australia. During our interview, he talks to us a bit about his background, including his work with conditions involving the facial nerve, and how he has worked with physicians to put together a program using AI to help patients suffering from the loss of facial movements on one side of the face. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening today. Uh, With me calling in from Australia, I have Dr. Dusseldorp. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. You're, you're more than welcome. It's a great to be here. Awesome. So let's just start with a quick introduction of yourself and what you're currently working on. Great. Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, actually a plastic surgeon. I'm really interested in, uh, in conditions that involve the facial nerve, which is something which um, most people don't really have much exposure to, but basically means uh, that one side of the face doesn't work very well. Um, People may know people that have had something called a Bell's palsy, which is a condition where one side of the face doesn't work too well after a viral infection, uh, usually. And so we worked together with um, some some doctors in the United States where I've previously been uh, in residence at the Mass INE Hospital, really close to Affectiva's HQ. Um, and, uh, and we put together a program to try and use AI to help these patients. Very cool. Now, before we get into this in more detail, you had a really interesting path to Affectiva in our tech, which I believe started when you saw a talk at one of our uh, Emotion AI summits. So I was wondering if you could tell that story. Yeah, well, I was, I was living in Cambridge and I found out that there was this uh, Emotion AI summit at MIT and, uh, and the work that Rana and your team at Affectiva were doing. And so I was pretty amazed at the synergy between trying to understand what people's faces are telling others emotionally and, and what happens with facial palsy. And so I, I decided to go along to this emotion AI, I think it was 2017. And I was listening to a talk by uh, uh, Camp, uh, I think it's um, Campbell Miller Brown, uh, Graham Page, who was, who's a, a long-term co- collaborator of Affectiva. And he was talking about using AI to really decrypt emotion in, in video clips of people watching advertisements. And I thought, Hang on, that's exactly what we do when we're trying to understand how our patients uh, feel emotion. We ask them to watch a funny, funny video. We film them, and uh, we, you know, we really make an assessment of their ability to smile um, when they're laughing. And it's something that um, we do very crudely compared with the the tech at Affectiva. So it was something that I was pretty excited about trying to collaborate. And and uh, certainly after the meeting, we had a great uh, a great collaboration that's led to all these years later to a, a, a quite an interesting publication. Very cool. I, I don't know if your, your program has a name, but I was wondering if you could just share it with us and what's the pitch, like why someone would, would want to use something like this. Sure. Yeah. So we, um, we started to develop this concept of um, an emotionality quotient. Um, so the, or the MQ and um, really what that, what that is and, and why we, we, we're, we're trying to t- turn that into an app at the moment. It doesn't currently exist. 
um, but an app that people can use on their own phones because the technology is capable of doing that. It's just about trying to get around some of the privacy issues with that for, for a medical device. Um, but right now, the reason why MQ is interesting to us is because not only do we see a benefit in, in people's ability to smile when, when we try and restore that, and we can talk a bit about how we do that in the medical world, but our goal is to actually restore that smile to normal. Um, and so we, uh, we, we measure our ability to do that with, a, with really a before and after comparison using uh, emotion AI tech. And, the, uh, and we can also measure the ability of, of, uh, of our surgery to reduce a negative emotional as- affect. So actually looking like you're um, uh, contempt uh, or, or, dis- or you have disgust when you're trying to express joy, which is a really, uh, you can imagine, quite a difficult thing for someone who has that problem. And really what that means is every time they're trying to smile at you, they're actually looking like they're, they're, um, they don't believe what you're saying. And so we, we kind of wanted to calculate both, um, I guess, the positive benefit in terms of improving your ability to smile, but also taking away some of that negative emotion, which was something that we didn't really expect to find until we used the technology and, and realized that it was there. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about how it works? Sure. Yeah. So really what we're doing is um, measuring every frame within a, within a video clip of someone watching a, a funny video. We, um, we're, we're trying to understand every time that person smiles um, or, or at least when the healthy side of their face smiles because the other side may not work too well. Um, we want to try and understand in that moment what's happening um, to the observer, the person who's watching that, that patient or, or perhaps sitting across from them at the table, we wanted, we wanted to measure using AI tech how much joy they express. And we found it was pretty dramatic. When people had facial palsy, they expressed no joy when they tried to smile, zero. Um, and, when, uh, and in fact, they, they expressed a pretty high amount of contempt, uh, you know, on average around 80%. Um, probability that someone would 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 expect that they were would, would imagine that they were, the other person was was feeling content um, and uh, so that's that's quite an important bit of information for us to know and for patients to be aware of um, because no matter how hard they try and smile they were they, they weren't able to do it and then we compared after surgery and we found there was a total reversal of that so we could show pretty pretty uh, good data that um, patients were able to uh, totally reverse their ability to express joy in the majority of cases that would be up around 80 90 percent um, and we would reduce that that negative emotion down to um, you know trace levels so that was really um the first time that we've been able to objectively quantify improvements in people's emotionality uh-huh. very cool so you mentioned i know you're you're a plastic surgeon um was there any specific patient or incident that kind of inspired you to build this? So I'm curious where you got the idea to kind of get this in motion. Yeah, I mean, the all of our patients that we deal with um, is it, it's kind of a highly emotionally charged environment, to be honest, because we're dealing with people's whole sense of being. It's really hard if you ask someone, "What does this smile mean to them?" Um, you get a, a really emotional response. Oftentimes people can't even really describe it in words, what it means when, when their smile has been taken away because you know, we all use our smile every minute of every day when we're communicating with other people. Um, and, and we don't do it consciously, right? It's something which we, um, it's our way in which, you know, you're a coworker and the colleague, a family member, a baby, 
um, you know, that ability to interact with other humans is what makes us who we are. And so um, there are a couple of patients that really stick out in my memory. Um, one of them is a, is a woman who was a, a teacher and um, she was, uh, you know, a lovely lady. And you could tell that just by talking to her. But when you looked at her, she, she wasn't able to, to connect with you on that level. And you know, every time she smiled, one side of her face would grimace and the other side wouldn't move. And, and, and she was aware of that. And so she tried to suppress that ability in herself. And she actually said to me that, you know, she used to be a teacher and she used to teach primary school children. And she said that her smile was her currency. She, that, was my, that was my main, uh, you know, attribute that made me a good primary school teacher was that I could connect with these children just through my big smile. And when I lost that, all that happened was the kids would ask me what was wrong with my face. Yeah. And so um, she had to stop her job. She had to um, change her profession and um, go to just marking papers. And she lost all of the joy that she had from, from what she did. Um, and so, you know, she drives me to kind of want to get better outcomes for her because ultimately whenever I see a patient in the facial nerve clinic at our, at our hospital, they say, I just want my smile back. Right. And we're, we're okay at doing that right now. We can, in the majority of cases, we can get a reasonably good smile back. But to me, that's not enough. I think we need to really um, be able to aim for, for getting people back to, to where they were before, back to being, you know, part of the, part of the, the tribe that they, they came from. It's amazing. Um, so let's talk a bit about the process and building it. How did you, you know, you have this idea of how did you go about making it a reality? It was super easy. We, I mean, in, uh, in hindsight, everything's easy, but no, at the time it was, um, I found the Affectiva group really easy to work with. They saw immediately a benefit for, for a um, collaboration um, and they helped us um, to, to use the SDK. Um, they helped us to find, uh, to find some collaborators. Some of the techs even spoke with a, um, an engineer in our team to help us to um, uh, really um, optimize the SDK for our purposes. And, and we were able to apply it to our um, patient videos uh, pretty easily, pretty seamlessly. So it was, it was more about knowing what to do with the data once we had it. I think it's that, you know, when, when you do something like this, that's, that's innovative. Um, there's no, there's no textbook on how to use it. So we had to um, kind of identify different concepts around this and, and try and build up this space. Um, we also had um, a great collaboration with um, a professor, Lisa Feldman Barrett from uh, the, uh, affective neuroscience lab at Northeastern University. And she was amazing to talk to because she was able to help me to understand exactly what, you know, we, we are measuring when we, when we look at someone's emotional um, expressions, because it isn't the, what they're feeling, right? I think that's important for us to know whenever we're doing um, studies of, of people's affect or how they, how they appear, what we're measuring is our ability to deconstruct what, what they're communicating to us. We're not actually measuring anything about them. Um, so, and that's really important when you think of someone with facial palsy, because only half of their face works only half of their face is really their voluntary expression. The other half they've got no control over. Um, and so, yeah, to me, that was um, important to talk to her and it really shaped, I guess, the, the title of the paper, which is that it's in the eye of the beholder, not, um, not really how they feel. So can you talk a little bit more about um, the Affectiva component? What exactly is, like, how is it integrating? What exactly is it doing? Outputs, inputs, you know, all that fun stuff. Yeah, sure. So the, the really what it's doing is um, facial landmarking. 
And then from the, so what that means is like, um, if you've ever seen how, how a facial recognition tool works, it puts lots of dots all around the face. And those dots, um, if you have a big enough data set, can, uh, are really accurate. Um, and so once you can do that, then you can apply it to any face and even faces that, that the application will have never seen before, like a facial palsy face, where one, face, one side of the face is, is, is really drooped. Um, and so, yeah, once those points are all able to be placed really accurately, the next step is to put those, um, I guess, dots together into um, expressions. And those expressions over time are then mapped to emotional um, emotion um, probabilities, right? So that the, the app is not saying this person is feeling happy or this person is feeling sad. They're just saying with these emotion, uh, with these kind of ex- facial expressions all grouped together over time, the, the likelihood that this person is happy or sad or, or disgustful uh, is, is this percentage. Um, and so that was useful for us to use because what was, um, was really interesting was the app, first of all, could identify the face. I think in most um, machine learning apps, which don't have a very big data set, they would, they would have said, well, they wouldn't have known where to put the dots. Um, but Affective has got such a, a massive data bank to pull from that we were able to really um, easily find all of our patients' faces for starters, and then um, really try and uh, map emotion categories to um, facial expressions that the computer algorithm had never seen before. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, now that your article is about to be published or is already published, um, was there anything specific that you're really excited about? I think it's, um, yeah, I'm really excited about this becoming an app. I think we have um, uh, got a great uh, buy-in from the university and from the uh, and partners healthcare to create an app um, and to be able to put this technology in people's own devices in their own homes because really what we want to know is how people smile when they're not being observed, when they're, um, you know, when it's a totally subconscious um, behavior, which is to me, when you're watching a movie in a dark room in your own house, not, not, you know, when you're sitting in a, in a um, laboratory at the hospital with lots of cameras pointing at you and bright lights. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we've never been able to capture that data before. And we, so we've never really known the true emotional expression of, of someone, you know, really when they're not being observed. And so that's, I guess the power of affectivist technology is to be able to do that off a simple device. Um, you know, based on, you know, I want people to be able to use our own iPhone and we just send them a, a funny video clip. They, uh, they log in, they quickly check their, um, something funny that we send them and, and we get the data from that to know how they're, how they're recovering after surgery or how they're recovering, you know, after their injury. Um, and I think that's, that's really exciting step forward and, and hopeful that we'll be able to do that in the next six months. Awesome. Yeah, that kind of leads up to my next question, which was, you know, what's the next step for this project? Is this something you kind of envision uh, an app being downloaded for all patients or commercially available? Like, what are your, your thoughts around how this is going to kind of roll out? Yeah, I guess the goal is, is to make it a free app that, download, that our patients download um, and then has a direct link to, the, to their clinicians. So um, ultimately, the, the power of this is that on their own um, phone, once, they, once the video has been watched, that'll create um, an output, which is uh, really a sequence of, of scores, of emotion scores. And those emotion scores get sent to us. So it bypasses the need for private information um, or video clips to be sent you know, over the internet and something which can be done kind of quickly um, and without a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of computing power. So it's, um, yeah, that's what I'm excited about. And that's really our next step. Cool. 
Are, are there any other plans to build something similar to this in the future or any other use cases that you're kind of thinking about or playing around with? Yeah, we want to kind of ultimately get our um, colleagues uh, involved in this. I think that there's in the world of facial reanimation, there, there are centers in all over the world. And we get together every, uh, every couple of years for, for international meetings and talk about ways in which we can do better. And, and one of the things that we need to do better on is, is comparing our results across different countries because everyone has slightly different techniques and no one really knows kind of which technique is the best. Um, and so we have, have had this issue for a long time in terms of how to, how to kind of, um, I guess, optimize our results across different countries. So I think this will enable us to really share, share data and to share results um, more easily and in a more objective way. But we're not, obviously we all um, believe that we do good work, but it's, you know, if, we, if there is a really a technique of one of our colleagues that we should all be adopting, this would be a great way to, to, to work that out. So yeah, my, my vision is for others to, to start to use this same type of technology routinely. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, we've got a few other ideas about um, ways in which to use, um, uh, I guess, machine learning in general, you know, in, in medicine and particularly in, in plastic surgery. Um, certainly facial palsy is not the only condition where, where we, um, we need to objective, objectively improve results. I think that's something which we aim for a range of different conditions from things like cleft lip and palate um, to um, children that are born without ears, a condition known as uh, microtia. Um, and we have the same need to, to objectively quantify results um, in, in, a, in a standardized way. And that's where machine learning has, has extremely um, high potential. So I'm working on that as well. Very cool. Do you have any other advice for those who are looking to build something similar? There's a lot of different applications, as you said. Um, if there's someone listening that's really interested in kind of taking the first step, do you have any advice for them? Jump in. I think you, you, you don't really know what, where, where these things will take you, but I think that what you can be sure of is there's power in, in, in data. Um, and I think that we, um, we underestimate that the, you know, as clinicians because we're used to making judgment calls on things. Um, and uh, I think we have to be a little more open to, to, to data and understand you know, what it can give us. I think that there's, um, you know, we were able to analyze um, over 100 patients in about 15 minutes um, without having to sit there and manually get out a ruler and, and, and measure anything. Um, and I think that um, that's extremely powerful and, and time efficient, which all of us are looking for that, right? A way to do things uh, without spending huge amounts of time in a research capacity. Ultimately, these tools should become part of our day-to-day -day clinical practice mm -hmm. and help us to make better decisions. So I would say jump in would be my advice. Absolutely. So kind of a broader question for you. What, what do you see as, you know, the future of healthcare technology, especially with big data and machine learning and all these different applications that are kind of being developed as we speak. Do you see any specific milestones they need to achieve or roadblocks to overcome to kind of become more integrated and mainstream? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I'm, I'm excited by this space, right? Like uh, my goals are to try and uh, make sure that we use these technological advances in medicine as soon as possible, because I find it crazy that there have been these huge advances made in the, in the technology space and you know we're, we're quite slow to uptake new things in medicine for good reasons we want to make sure everything's safe um but i think that shouldn't slow us down right we should we should have to just overcome those 
those challenges. And so, yeah, I see that there's probably three areas in my field where um, there, there's going to be massive uptake in, in, in the future and in, in the near future, I hope. So the first one is obviously machine learning, and we've been talking about that. The second one is actually um, tissue engineering um, because we are at a stage um, which, you know, you may not know about this field. I'll give you a, a two-minute blurb that we actually are able to grow cells in a culture dish um, and have the body um, really receive those cells in a way in which we can target new tissues in, in different parts of the body. And there's a number of different conditions where you might want to do that. It'd be something as simple as cartilage in a knee joint for osteoarthritis um, or um, cardiac cells into a damaged heart. And um, my personal interest is in, in trying to recreate new body parts on the outside. So in, in reconstructive surgery without having to borrow and take pieces from other parts of the body. Um, so this is actually a field of medicine that has been around for a while, but has, hasn't really made it into any um, true clinical programs yet. So that, that is something which I think is, is rapidly accelerating and, and won't take long. The other one is, is implanted electronics. So we're at a time when we all understand about certain implantable electronic devices. So everyone, everyone will know about the cochlear implant um, and also a, um, a cardiac pacemaker. Right. These are examples of applied um, pieces of electric, like electrical um, technology that, that have an ability to replace a function of the body. So one is elect applied electricity to um, tell the brain that it's, uh, it's receiving an input in the form of hearing, the cochlear implant, mm -hmm. and the other is applying electrical activity to recreate the function of a damaged heart. So there's a lot of excitement really now in how to use that electrical activity in other ways, ways that, you know, bionic ways that can improve function in people living with disability, for example, after neurological injury, say, for example, after having had a stroke or having been born with a condition known as cerebral palsy. Um, so I think all of these are just examples of applied technology to medicine. Um, the technology exists, but really what your point and my, and what I think is, uh, is what are we waiting for and what are the roadblocks? And I think we're, um, we're trying to pick at those one at a time. Yeah, absolutely. So fascinating. Um, so we'll provide a link, you know, for listeners, um, to your, your article that will be published, but is there, is there somewhere where people can try the program? Is it going to be available to download or where, you know, where can they get it and kind of play around with yeah. it? Well, it'll be, it'll be an iOS app soon enough. Um, I think once, once we have it, we'll, um, we'll obviously share that um, with you and you can uh, you know, forward that onto your listeners and people can try and they can check their own smile, make sure they get 100%. You know, I think that um, the, um, there are a number of apps like this where people um, uh, you know, kind of can, can measure the, the symmetry of their face or the, or the effectiveness of their own smiles. Um, ours, ours will um, have, have a limited capacity to give that back to people, but also um, it's, it's, it's mainly going to be for, for people affected with this condition at this point. Very cool. So last question, do you have any asks or call to actions for people listening today? The only thing would be for people who, um, who are interested in this field to start to, I guess, move the conversation forward of how we can use technology better in medicine. I think there are a number of people who, um, we just expect if I talk to patients about about using technology in medicine, they're not surprised. They're like, "Yeah, of course. Why haven't we done that already?" Um, so I think you know, as as uh, 
as a community, we have an expectation that this is happening, but it's, it's slow to happen because it, it takes, I guess, um, more of a, a mind shift in the, in the medical space. And I think there's, there's a number of um, startups and people um, trying to, to make inroads into this space, but it's, it takes, uh, I guess, a mind shift of, of the whole community to accept that this is a, this is coming and we need to embrace it rather than being fearful of it. So um, yeah, the more examples we have and the more people who, um, who are already on board, the better. I think that'd be, that'd be the biggest ask right now. Excellent. Well, that's all I have for today. This is super fascinating. Thank you so much for making the time to speak with me today. Thank you. It's been great. I love the application of the technology for this use case, helping patients who have lost their smile due to stroke or Bell's palsy reanimate their smile is so fascinating. As Dr. Dusseldorf describes, with loss of movement in half your face, the face can be perceived to be expressing contempt. In working together with doctors, developers, and using Affectiva's AI, he is working to literally bring joy back to their expressions. Personally, it's an interesting question to think about. What does your smile mean to you? We unconsciously use our smile every day when we communicate with other people, and it does in fact represent a huge part of your emotional well-being. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Remember to subscribe to Affectiva's human-centric AI podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes. We are also on social media, so please reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at Affectiva to share any feedback you have on the show and weigh in on the discussion using hashtag AffectivaAsks. Don't forget to rate us to help make a podcast more discoverable for others as well. Until next time, thanks for listening.